friends, and welcome to the National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Penizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Roman. Today, we're going to be talking with Heather Stevens of DeerAge.com and Wildlife Analytical Labs. We're going to talk about scientifically having your deer aged. So not tooth wear, which is something we talk a lot about and try to educate folks on here at the NDA, but actual looking at the tooth under a microscope to age your deer. Pretty cool stuff. And Heather is a good guest. So looking forward to bringing that interview to you here in just a few minutes. The doctor's back in New York after the holidays. How much snow do you have there, Mike? Oh, five, maybe pushing six inches, and we're supposed to get another three tonight. So I got to point out, as I asked the doctor that question, he like looked out the window. <laughs> it's just, ah, that's five or six inches, you know. But all, all we need to know is that, uh, you know, it's going to be over your ankles. So that's significant So snow. And yeah, we do have another system coming in, Mike. I'd say here, uh, we probably still have eh, maybe three on the ground. But uh, yeah, it looks like three to five maybe coming over the next 48 hours. Yeah, they were just guessing for us three, but up on the mountain here, it's always a little bit more. But at, at this point, once snow's on the ground, I don't care. Ground's frozen, everything's fine. It's just how long it's going to take you to shovel. Yeah, it's winter. I used to complain, you know, living in the western part of Pennsylvania, our winters, for the most part, are what I would describe as pretty sloppy. So rarely do you get, okay, you get that first snow and beginning of December and it's white until March. That's not typically how it happens here. You get a few inches here and there, and then it's, you know, warm for a week and everything melts and it's muddy. And then you get freezing rain one day, and then maybe you get a couple more inches of snow. Well, so far, since it decided to start snowing in January, uh, it's been, it's been pretty steady winter here. I don't know if I really like that or not. I used to talk a big game and say, I wish it would just be winter and stay winter, but now I'm not so sure. Well, for me up here, it's, it actually is a good thing. It's a blessing. I'd rather have it frozen and just snow on the ground versus sloppy, muddy, especially with the dogs. They're always tracking that stuff in. And as you well know, it helps with the maple syrup or maple sap flow when uh, we actually get these frozen temperatures for a long period of time, and then we get the correct warm-up. So this will be my second year for that, so I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's coming up here really quickly. You know, let's talk about things that sneak up on you. Maple syrup season is something that definitely can, and uh, that'll be here before you know it. And, you know, today, well, we've had several days of this sort of single-digit lows and temperatures don't even get close to freezing. Then all of a sudden today, I think it got to 29. And so when you walk outside, like that's not even coat weather anymore. And so uh, quick B-team report, and I guess it relates to the weather, uh, I had to get, let, let me let me put it this way. After you break the windshield is not the time to find out or be reminded of what your insurance deductible is. <laughs> oh, no. Uncomprehensive. <laughs> so I'm coming home from the ATA show, driving home from the airport. And there's not even anybody around me. And all of a sudden I hear this pop noise as if something hit my windshield. And I look and sure enough, there's this crack, probably about half the size of a dollar bill. And I'm irritated because this truck, I have a Toyota Tundra. It's not very old. And uh, I'm just irritated to have to deal with this. 
but it was still small enough to where I'm thinking they may just be able to repair this thing. Well, then the next morning I go out to start it up and the crack has worked all the way across to the other side. And now I'm into a repair or a replacement. Replacement. Yeah. And so anyway, how I'll get back to how this matters with weather, but, um, I took it down to the garage this morning and I thought, well, I'm just going to walk home. And because the weather it's, it's not, like I said, it's, it feels warmer than it is, but it's a good long walk, probably a mile and a half, not the brightest idea. But anyway, we we get there. And the first thing we do is call the insurance company. And I found out my deductible is way higher than it should be. And so this is a very expensive windshield um, that I'm putting in this truck. Well, that's too bad. It's it's one of those things where, especially in this day and age, I'm sure everybody feels it, but you you just feel like you're out from under the pile all of a sudden. I'm sure after Christmas, people might have credit card bills that they ran up and you're like, okay, got a couple paychecks in now, getting everything settled in, and then something like that hits you. And those unexpected expenses are always, in my opinion, the hardest ones to swallow. Well, the worst part for me is I always equate these things and what I could be getting in hunting gear instead. Exactly. So I'm, I'm paying for something that I already had in my truck, a window, <laughs> a windshield. And I'm going to, in the end of this, I'm going to have, you know what? I'm going to have a windshield. That's just, <laughs> it's not very exciting. But anyway, all right. Uh, enough of me crying the blues here. Hey, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the interview with Heather Stevens. Heather Stevens joins us on the Coffee and Deer podcast. Heather is the owner and director of operations at Wildlife Analytical Laboratories, affectionately referred to also as DeerAge.com, which we're going to talk a bunch about here today. Um, she's a scientist you know, through and through. Uh, science has been her personal passion, and this certainly aligns with that. And she wants to help hunters easily and affordably get their deer aged accurately not just through tooth wear, uh, but through actual looking under a microscope. And we're going to get into that. So Heather, thank you for being a guest on the show today. And why don't you fill us in from there? Tell us about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I got my start in my career in 2009. So I got a degree in microbiology from Washington State University. And shortly after, I started working for the Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory at Washington State. And that's where I really learned about all things tissue related. So um, I can process any kind of animal tissue. We actually own a veterinary diagnostic laboratory in addition to uh, DRH. So I'm a tissue specialist and I understand all different things about that. Um, and I fell in love with it and decided to start my own company shortly after working there. And I started in the research sector. So I take in animal tissues from large universities all across the nation, and we cut up their tissues and give them back to them uh, on slides. And I also have a pathologist that we work with as well so that we can help them with their drug studies. And through that, I started working with DeerAge in 2013. The owner of DeerAge reached out to me looking for a laboratory to help them out um, because they had read all the scientific papers and started the company on their own. And we started working together and it really quickly became my favorite line of work. And I really enjoyed working with the owners, uh, Henry and Mary Chiji. They were great people and 
had a lot of fun, went and visited them in Texas. And then I think it was 2000, the end of 2017, they were wanting to retire and asked if I'd be interested in buying them out. And of course, because I already take in all the teeth, I really enjoy the work. Um, I was very excited to do that. So we bought the company in 2018 and it's been an amazing journey. It really eats up a lot of my life because I'm pretty obsessed with deer age. Um, it's fun, it's challenging, and um, I've really enjoyed kind of transforming the company to get better and better and better. That's my goal is always to just get better and better. And it's, it's, it's not been without glitches for sure. There's been a lot of bumps along the way, but I think we're, we're really lined up to uh, be the best in the industry for sure. Well, it was pretty neat. You sent me a little virtual tour of your lab and you said, Hey, yeah, I'm going to send you this video, but it's a mess. And you, know, you made, <laughs> yeah. you made some apologies before I even watched it. And I watched it and I thought, man, this place compared to most of the labs I've been in is immaculate. And so, yeah, there you are <laughs> now. With these... standards. <laughs> yeah, but that's good. I mean, I think if someone's sending you their deer tooth of their prized deer that they think is, you know, 20 years old, which we know it probably isn't, uh, they want to make sure that it's being handled well. But so just congratulations on that. I know you've made a huge investment, but let's go back to. I mean, it is 20 years old, though. I have aged very, very old deer. <laughs> but that's true. That's true. It is possible. <laughs> I, I I think I was just referring to like you, you run into these people. They're like, oh, I shot this one 150 wow. inch deer. And you look at it you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> you must be measuring from like the tail to the tip of the nose. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you have this really nice lab, but it, go all the way back to, you know, you're a young woman and you're deciding, you know what, I really love science. I'm smart enough to do the, the, the coursework to actually get there. If, if someone would have told you then, hey, you're going to actually own this lab that ages white-tailed or deer, actually any wildlife, what would you have thought at that time? Oh man, I think I would have been very obstinate <laughs> because I mean I definitely really wanted to get into the research aspect of things when I first started my career um and I I still enjoy research quite a lot and now I really get the opportunity to even do our own research which I did not get that opportunity in our other company we were really helping other people with their research um so I've been able to kind of get into more of our own research uh, with deer age, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, I would have never thought that I would be doing this. I, um, I grew up in the city. I didn't even know anyone who hunted um, until I met my husband. So my husband's a hunter and he was a taxidermist for 20 years. So he's really helped me a lot in, he's my uh, highest performing, least paid employee. <laughs> um, he, he really helps so much with me to understand um, a lot about the hunting industry and and why people are doing this and it's it's really brought it all together it's, it's a perfect combination with his knowledge of hunting and then my knowledge of science it really helps deer age kind of get it for the for the customer i gotta ask you this because whenever my wife and i met she'd never fired a gun she'd never hunted she was familiar with it but never hunted yeah so you meet this guy and he's, you know, you're having this discussion, what's your favorite color, you know, all this yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I like to hunt. What's your reaction to that? I guess I was just kind of like, oh, that's cool, you know, but then he was like, oh, I do taxidermy. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then when I went to his house and he had like all these mounts, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> but then I slowly really became to love it. In fact, um, 
I really am into contemporary design and things like that. Our house is ultra modern. And he had taken a trip to Africa and mounted a bunch of African mounts, which I just love. And then he made this really cool modern uh, metal base for his sable. And it's so awesome. It's in our house. So yeah, we, we, we definitely make it work. It was a little bit of a challenge at first because that's such a different world for me. But, you know, my husband's really well-rounded. So we, you know, spent time going bear hunting, which I was terrified of bears. And then we would go to the symphony, which is kind of my realm. So it really works good. He, he's a well-rounded guy. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Sounds like a great partnership. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's interesting. So having a chance to talk to you a couple of times now, you're someone that has uh, obviously a lot of ambition and your high energy, which I think will certainly help you be successful as a business person. But when you were doing some of this work, Tell us about when you kind of recognize, you know what, there's some need and some opportunity here. I think I can fill a niche. Hello, friends. I want to take this opportunity to introduce you to a new NDA sponsor, PH Outdoors. PH Outdoors offers no-till drills and crimpers, and their no-till drills in particular, they offer several different sizes ranging from the G3 that you can pull with an ATV all the way up to a G10. So if you got some big equipment, it'll work for you as well. The G-Series no-till drill was developed with the hunter and wildlife manager in mind. It is a true no-till drill that will plant a variety of seeds and blends into the ground, even in the toughest soil conditions. It features tempered cutting discs spaced at seven and a half inches apart, and these discs slice into the soil, allowing the seeding mechanism to plant the seeds into the created slits and solid rubber packing wheels trail behind the disc to close up the soil. The G-Series will provide outstanding seed-to-soil contact, even when cutting through standing vegetation. The infinitely variable gearbox and seed calibration system make the G-Series easy to use and extremely accurate. Check them out online, folks. It's ph-outdoors.com. That's ph-outdoors.com. a niche. I mean, I guess I already knew that it was a niche just because um, there are very, very few people in the entire world that do what we do, not just the U.S., but in the whole world, there's very few people. Um, so I already knew it was extremely niche. But then when I started really researching um, how many people are hunting white-tailed deer in the United States and started learning more about the aging that they had been doing up to this point, I was like, oh, wow, we've really got some work to do in, in educating people. And through the first few years of me doing this, you know, of course, I, I researched everything, <laughs> literally everything. That's what I do. Um, but I was reading up about, oh, this is when a buck is mature, right? That's, and then I kind of put that in my mind, like, this is when a buck is mature. But then as I started, like, putting the pieces together and seeing deer coming through at much older ages and much larger, I was like, maybe that's not really true. You know, maybe, maybe deer actually mature a little later than previously thought. So I, I guess it really piqued my interest and started making me think we've got some work to do in this field, you know, and I, I, I didn't really expect backlash <laughs> because I was like, this is so cool, you know, but there's been backlash. I mean, we do take heat a lot online and we have people, I've had people call me up and tell me I'm an idiot. Um, it's, it's, it's been a challenge for sure, but I just have to stay the course and just know that what we're doing is, um, it could, could potentially really redefine things in hunting, I think. 
So Heather, let's back up for a second there and unpack that statement where people are upset about, are they upset about the results you send them back? They, they think it's a seven, eight year old deer yeah. and you're like, no, this is a three year old. Or is it the opposite? Like, do, do it's they both. think it's okay? It's both. So, so um, I'll, I'll tell you a really good story that happened. Um, we, we give our customers the opportunity to request a second look of their deer, right? Because what we're doing is semi-qualitative analysis, right? So yes, it's as simple as counting the lines on the tooth. It is actually that simple. However, the lines can be all over the place. As a as a business person, I'm not going to show you an example of a crappy tooth. I'm going to show you the best tooth I've got, right? So everyone thinks they're all that cut and dry, which they're not, right? Some of them are wavy, some of them are faint. And so you as the reader are making interpretations based on your experience and how many teeth you've seen, you're making an interpretation of how old you think the deer is. Sometimes it's very easy. They're very, very clear lines. And I would say that's probably the majority of them, but not always. So we give our hunters the opportunity to request a second look. Well, one of my really good customers had requested a second look on his tooth and we had aged it at five and a half. And he was like, dead sure this was an older deer. He's like, I, I know, and we let them tell us why you think this, why do you think it's older or younger? I, I have trail camera pictures. I, I've been watching this deer a long time. I know this is an older deer. Okay, so we, we take a second look at the tooth. We run a second tooth and look at it. And I'm like, nope, I'm sticking with my guns on this. I never change it just because someone thinks that. I have to see the evidence in the tooth. So he let it go and he's like, well, I don't know. I think he thought we were wrong, right? But he still kept sending. Well, he actually emailed in, I think it was earlier this year, uh, 2023. And he said, you know what? I was dead sure, dead sure. He goes, but that deer actually had a doppelganger. And we, we actually got the older deer this time. And he had the same, uh, same patterns, same walking patterns, looked exactly the same. So he, he, he had not called me an idiot or anything like that, but he just let me know the story. And I was like, I, it did give me that sense of peace that like, I'm doing the right thing here, you know, and so many people think they have the right deer and, and you, sometimes you just don't, you know? And so it was really reassuring and that kind of thing does happen, mistaken identity. Um, and, and that's just how it goes. So it, it's, it's been a journey, like I said. <laughs> So in your, <clears throat> excuse me, so in your policies and procedures manual, it kind of has the, the football play review. If there's not enough evidence to overturn the ruling, the ruling stands. Very, very true. Yes, that is an absolutely perfect analogy. <laughs> well, deer hunters tend to be a little bit passionate. Uh, uh, you know, we tend oh, yeah. to know, we tend to think we know more than we do. And, and then on top of that, you have the science world and, and this, this isn't just deer hunters across the world. We have this across the United States, especially now we have this lack of uh, confidence in science, which has caused a lot of issues ranging from COVID to a thousand other things. Right. And people are just naturally skeptical. And even sometimes when you show them and in your case, under a microscope, they still may not like it, but I know personally there was a deer that I shot one time uh, that was pretty distinctive. And so I got uh, pictures with it and I had this, this shed antler that I found with the deer and uh, it ended up, uh, this was, this was covered in a magazine article and someone read that article 
And then they were my neighbor over there that I didn't know. And they sent me a picture and they said, that shed that you have isn't from the deer you shot. Here's the deer you shot. And I was just, I was blown away. I was, I was like, you're right. This is this deer that I shot that I thought was this deer was not this deer. Yes. And yes. so that was a, my, a personal lesson I learned about that. Yes. And we are working on a test right now. That's part of the research that I'm, you know, really fortunate to be able to be working on is a test to compare shed antlers. Um, we're hoping to be able to compare two different shed antlers and also shed antlers to like hair samples from your harvest so that you can see which sheds have come from your harvest or not. Um, that's in the works. I've been working with our, um, our lead scientist, Dr. Vipin Sharma, on trying to develop that test. Yeah, and that's pretty exciting because a friend of mine, I shared this with you, Jason Matzinger. He's a well-known hunter. He has the, the television show Into High Country. He does a fantastic job with that. But anyway, he shot this giant elk that he that was like sort of like a ghost elk. He only had seen it one other time. He was certain it was the same one. He picked up the sheds, but he asked me, he said, is there anyone that does DNA testing that could tell me if the sheds that I found belong to this elk that I shot? And so now I've met you and this is, this is going to be happening, right? Yeah. As far as I know, there's no one else that does this. And, um, it's, I think that our biggest challenge right now is both t just time and money, same as everyone's challenges with everything, but, you know, just having the time to really fine tune the research on that and then also testing and then just getting set up to do that type of testing and investing in even more equipment. You know, we're not really at a point where we can make more investment at this point. So um, it's in the works. We're looking at, you know, some potential different partnerships with people who maybe already have the equipment that we need. So, yep. Well, we're hoping this will generate some customers for you and help you buy the equipment you need. So, but along those lines, and you may have touched on this a little bit, some things people might be surprised to learn about the work that it is you're doing. I mean, you showed me a video that's got all kinds of equipment and it's not literally someone just sends you a tooth and you throw it under the microscope and everything's great, right? Right. I do think that a lot of people think that and they don't realize everything that goes into doing this. Um, it, it's actually more steps than doing DNA testing, right? It's a lot more to it than that. Um, we have to remove all the calcium from the bone chemically before we can even start. Um, there's a lot of equipment involved. There's the teeth go through numerous chemicals. There's a lot of chemicals involved. We have chemical disposal. You know, since we're a laboratory and we have biohazard disposal, like there's a lot of things that go into it um, that I think people would be pretty surprised <laughs> how much equipment it actually takes to pull this off. I think a lot of people are so used to the mentality of molar wear aging where someone's just looking at something really closely and and then and then making a determination and so I think that like sometimes they can get a little frustrated at pricing but um you know with the the level of involvement in chemicals and also training you know because we do run a diagnostic laboratory we can't just hire any Joe Blow off the street and train them to do this we actually have to have technicians that know what they, they are doing. My lead technician, she actually was trained at the Mayo Clinic. Um, so it, it, there's a lot involved with it. Yeah, this is real, this is real science. This isn't, you know, playtime science. Yeah. Um, and so to that end, what I'd like you to do is if you could take us through the whole entire process. When I say the entire process, I mean, Mike there, the doctor, he's got a deer down. He's been after this deer. He's sure it's five years old, but he, 
he's thinking he wants to get that tooth aged. Please take us through from the time he makes the decision to, to do it all the way through to the point where he gets his results back. And if you don't mind uh, to add in there, some things that, that hunters need to be aware of, like don't do this to your teeth or, you know, things along those lines. So I'll turn it over to you and have you walk us through that. There's definitely a lot of don't do's. But but overall, it's really, really simple. So um, you could cut out the teeth at the kill site. They do come out pretty easy when it's fresh. But um, then you, you know, you run the risk of losing them or whatever. So it's no big deal um, if you wait a little bit to take the teeth out. Um, We do have a video on our website on how to remove the teeth. It's, It's pretty easy. Um, But I would say about the time that you're getting ready to skin that deer and do all the stuff that you're going to be getting in and out, start on the teeth and get those out. Um, If you're cutting uh, with a very sharp knife between the two front teeth on the lower uh, mandible and then on either sides of those two front teeth and cut down, down, down as far as you can cut and then press from the inside of the mouth out. The teeth will generally just pop right out. I mean, they, they come out pretty easy with a fresh harvest. And then, um, you know, just try to scrape a little bit of the flesh off if there's any cartilage attached or anything like that. Don't scrape really hard to, to where you scrape the tooth, but just kind of move some of the flesh off. And then just leave them on the counter to dry out. Um, a lot of people put them in a plastic bag, which is my biggest no-no is just don't put anything in a plastic bag it starts to rot because it holds everything in there and it just smells god awful i'm sure the post office hates our guts um (laughs) (laughs) had some interesting samples come in but just let them dry out on the counter and then once they're you know and and go online and place your order and then by the time the envelope arrives in the mail you'll probably have them completely dried out so if if you're struggling to get out the teeth and having a hard time, maybe you feel like they're going to break because what a lot of people don't know is that the root is what we're aging. The crown of the tooth that you see, that goes away. That's removed before we even start. Interesting. Yep. So so make sure you have the root. If you're feeling like, oh, you, you were pushing and, and one snapped and you're like, oh no, what if I can't get the other one out? Um, it's only $5 more to have us extract it for you and ensure that we can get an age. So you can saw off the front part of the jaw about where the jaw comes to you know, you've all seen jaws, they start to come together in a narrow area. If you saw it off in that narrow area, not only does it cut better, but you're far enough away from the roots that you won't sever the roots at all. And um, we send an envelope large enough to accommodate that whole mandible. And same, same with that, you know, remove any flesh and just start letting it dry out. Do not put it in a plastic bag. And then, yeah, you just go online and place an order. We sell our kits based on turnaround time. So faster turnaround time for our results is more expensive and then everything kind of bumps down after that Um, we do have a one week option uh, for turnaround time which is a lot of it's a lot of pressure to get these samples out in one week like i mentioned they go through a lot of steps it's not just looking at it it takes a lot to get it out in one week and i wouldn't feel comfortable really doing it any faster than that Um, so yeah you just order your kit online we'll send you an envelope We'll pop the teeth in that envelope. It has a barcode on it and then send that off to us. And then we scan it in. And when it arrives, you'll be notified in your little customer portal that it's here and it'll tell you when you can expect your results. Um, We used to be able to deliver results early, but at this point we're getting so busy and a lot of people do upgrade to the faster service that 
your results are typically delivered on the day that we say that we'll deliver them. And we are still a small company. So if your results are due on a Thursday, um, I may be working till 8 p.m. and they may not come out until a little bit late on Thursday, but they will be out that day. <laughs> so that's kind of the process in a nutshell. Um, you know, the only real big don't is don't cut off the root. That's what we need. And don't put it in any plastic. It stinks. And really that's it. It doesn't ruin the sample at all. It just stinks really bad. And, 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 and what the, the implications of it smelling are that it has to get separated from its batch. So the way we kind of do everything is everything is numbered and everything is collated in these batches, right? So with a stinky tooth, we have to put it in the hood and like boil it separately and kind of get, get it cleaned up, get it bleached, get the stink off of it. So now it's away from its batch and, you know, we don't really lose anything, but now we have to just make sure that someone is mentally maintaining that that has to go back with its batch and getting, getting reoriented. So it just kind of can slow down the process on our end a little bit. It's a little inconvenient. Um, and, and it's just really not necessary. If you scrape it off and dry it out, it doesn't really stink once it's dry. Mike and I have a mutual friend that used to do European mounts. Oh. Yeah, and he said that when he got heads shipped, to, and he's getting whole heads shipped to his house, he had I've a had whole tongues attached. Oh yeah. Uh, well, he used to have a twenty dollar gag fee <laughs> if, he <got> a rotten, <laughs> if he got a rotten head. Yeah, so oh, he yeah. opened it up and was gagging. The, he had, oh, he yeah. A, yeah, so you might want to implement that. On I, your... I always joke about that, too. When you're like, oh, what do they do? I was like, oh, just send the whole head. That's like what some people like to do. And, and more isn't better. Like some people want to send the whole jaw, but the front teeth are best for aging. We can age molars. It's more involved. I don't like it. They're harder to interpret. It's sort of a last resort. Like, oh, your tax room is threw away the front teeth. Let's age a molar. Some people think more is better. So if they send the whole jaw, you know, now we have more teeth. We don't need more teeth. Two is plenty. And it increases our disposal cost, you know. Mm -hmm. So now we're having a lot more bio biohazard that we're having to get rid of. And that's part of the reason they're a little bit more expensive as well. So more is not better. We just need those front couple of teeth. And, and that's, that's plenty adequate. So... You said you mentioned you have a video online, which is good. I think people should see that. Also, you know, you had mentioned we didn't talk a lot about it, but which teeth to send, you've covered that, that it needs to be the front teeth. But the packages themselves, I, you said there are three packages that you offer that I think are, in my view, pretty inexpensive. Would just share us what the cost of those are. Yeah, so we have our, um, our most economical service is our 90-day turnaround time. And the turnaround time is from when we check it in. So I think a lot of people get a little confused about shipping. So we have to ship you a barcoded envelope, which takes a little time. And then you have to ship back to us and you can choose how to send that. You can send it inexpensively through the mail and it may or may not get here, or you can send it, you know, FedEx overnight, whatever you want. But we check in every Monday and our turnaround times are from when we check it in. So we have our 90 day turnaround time, that's $33. And then we have a 45 day option, which is $57. And then we have a one week option, which is $89. And again, since we only check in on Mondays, um, like the one week option could end up being a little bit more than one week, um, just because if it arrives on say a Wednesday, it's not gonna get checked until Monday, but results are delivered by Friday. So it's only over by like one day, right? 
Um, <clears throat> and, and oftentimes the platinum teeth, the one week teeth, they are delivered a little bit early because we are really pushing, but by early, like at the earliest would be Wednesday. And that's usually if there's a holiday, we're trying to get it so that we're not missing a deadline because of a holiday. So um, I shoot for Thursday. I always try to get them out by Thursday if we're able. So it's very fast service. And the cost difference between those services? Um, so I think it's a $56 difference, um, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, so from 33 to 57 to 89. Yeah, and then sure. we also sell our certificates as well. So you can commemorate your hunt with a little five by seven frame certificate. We actually have a new one that we're developing right now with a photo, it's quite nice. Um, and those are $15, but if you, um, if you get the platinum service, it's only $10. Nice. So Heather, let's talk about volume. So um, in an average week, how many samples come in? And then when is your peak season? When does it get really sure. hot and heavy for you every year? So when I first took over this company, um, our season was from about mid-November to mid-January. Um, and now I would say it's all year long, which mm. is really surprising. We started getting some state contracts um, and a lot of times the state contracts are sending in teeth in the spring. And my goal is always to get them out before our peak season starts. So um, it's, it begins picking up in around October and then November, December, January are very, very busy. And then it kind of trickles down again. And then, like I said, in the spring, we'll usually get in a bunch of stuff from various states. And then we try to get that turned out over the summer before hunters start with us so it is it is difficult to staff for this kind of seasonality but with the states kind of filling the gaps it's been um, a little easier i used to be like you know it's like the calm before the storm you guys like you know enjoy summer because you know the busy season's coming and now it's like okay we just we just work all the time that's what we do is we just work all the time there's no slow season anymore which is good it just means that we're growing and we love it and um it, it makes it a little bit easier as far as staffing so yeah, November, so let's November talk about really busy. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about um, the lab itself. So, you know, Nick has uh, expressed that he's very impressed with the the automation state of the art, the you know, the cleanliness, the organization. Um, talk about like how is it? I mean, you have other contracts, you do other things. It's just not uh, tooth aging, but um, talk about lab maintenance, like in regards to some of the things like behind the scenes that, you know, we wouldn't expect to see in regards to cleaning, disinfecting, exactly. or like inspections, things like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's definitely a lot to it. So we have to log everything. Um, we have to log how many times a piece of equipment is used. Um, we have to log when chemicals are changed for consistency. And we've had to develop all of those protocols um, based on obviously our experience, right? So um, that kind of maintenance is definitely time consuming. Um, because we do a lot of this other testing, we could be inspected by the FDA at any given time. Um, we have done a lot of preclinical work. Um, so when, uh, for example, last year, we were involved in a drug study uh, for a cancer therapy, and it was a huge study, you know, so at, at any given time, we could be inspected by the FDA. So everything needs uh, tended to. Even our fridge and freezer, we have to keep a temperature log yeah. of our fridge and our freezer. And how often are you testing the, you know, we have a uh, emergency shower that has to be tested. You have to test your emergency eye wash station and, and keep 
uh, an actual log of the, the fact that you are in fact maintaining these items. So it, it, there's a lot more to it that is involved in just keeping a laboratory going to begin with. It's not just the service that you know they're paying for. And um, we have new equipment that has really um, upped our abilities to uh, increase our volume. So we actually invested in a, a automated slide scanner and um, it's it, incredibly <laughs> expensive. Um, it's actually the biggest expense I've ever paid for a single laboratory item. Um, had a little bit of sticker shock with that one. It was, it was definitely a tough pill to swallow, but it allows us to keep a digital slide. So we're not having the storage issues that we were having before. So um, we, we have digital slides. I can pull up any slide anytime now, just from my cell phone. So if um, anyone has a question about a slide that they're reading, they can just let me know and I can pull up the slide on my cell phone if I'm not in the laboratory. Um, we do work with Dr. Vipin Sharma, who's over in India and he is absolutely amazing. He's an amazing scientist. And so he will read slides for us. Um, and we wouldn't have that capability if we didn't have the slide scanner. So, you know, there's just so much expense that I think people don't really realize with having a laboratory like this and, and just zoning, right? So you have to have a specific zoning, which is, which can be expensive, the type of zoning that we need to be able to have for the laboratory. Um, and, and ventilation, we have three fume hoods and one eight foot walk-in fume hood because we're dealing with very hazardous chemicals. So I also have to test our employees exposure to the chemicals on a regular uh, mm. scheduled intervals to make sure that no one's getting exposure. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fume Nazi. We don't, you can't smell anything in my laboratory. Um, every single histologist that has ever walked in my laboratory is like, I don't smell anything. And I'm like, you're darn right. You don't, <laughs> we keep it very, very fume free in here. So yeah, it's, it, there's a lot that goes into it that I think people think maybe we're just sitting in a garage just looking at teeth or something, but it's it's very involved. And we, we also take in human tissue as well. So we take we take autopsy tissue. Um, so it's huh. it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, just, and I appreciate you saying that just because it, it is a lot of, of work anytime you're, that you're running a lab. And I think it's some of the things that for at least from the hunting side of it gets overlooked in regards to how many policies and procedures and mandates that you must follow and this what we're asking you to do is just such a small portion of that but how much baggage comes with that yeah yeah i mean definitely it's 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 a lot it's a great you know, value it's a great value to the hunter and i think that's that drives home the point that uh, man, I mean, I feel like we should be paying you a thousand dollars a tooth to do, to do this. Well, but, I think uh, that previously there was there. So previously, um, back in, in say the, the eighties, right. When cementum anti-aging has been around a long time, it's not a new science, but because it is so involved and histology laboratories are, are notoriously running in the red, right. Because there is so much involved and you need a trained tech but people don't want to pay high dollar per slide, right? And slides are expensive. Everything's expensive. Um, so previously, no one wanted to age just a single tooth, right? So it was like, oh, you have to have a thousand teeth before you can send in. Because when you get them in a big batch, it's, it's a lot easier to maintain. You've got one customer. So you're only dealing with one person with a thousand teeth, right? And you, and you maybe have one year to turn them around. Well, you can do that a lot 
more inexpensively, right? Versus every single hunter that calls and has a question, you have to be answering their questions and helping them through things. I think that like the, the level of customer service by offering to just do one toot also goes up so high. And we've really struggled with customer service because, you know, the volume doesn't support an additional at this time does not support an additional employee beyond just the laboratory employees. So it, it's been our biggest struggle. I have one practical question for you and then we'll, we'll get you out of here to get back to your busy lab. Um, let's say I'm out looking for antler sheds in the spring and I come across what we affectionately refer to as a deadhead. Uh, maybe it's a deadhead that we find, or maybe it's a European mount that we got done 10 years ago. And we're looking at that thing and we're like, you know, I'd really like to know how old that deer was. Can you age that deer? Sure. So I've aged deer that have sat outside for long periods of time. Um, some very old dead heads that have been found and people send in. Um, that's, that's not an issue. As far as Europeans go, it really depends on the preparation. So um, there's different ways of doing Europeans. You can boil them, which won't impact the sample at all. Um, you can have the beetles, which won't will <laughs> impact the sample though. But then there's also bleaching where you want it really, really white. And, and when they're bleached, that can impact the sample. But the, the, on the bright side, usually um, when you're doing the European, a lot of times they're just doing the, the top portion, like the lower jaw is not attached. So it may not be impacted at all. I have successfully aged um, teeth from bleached Europeans. It just makes it a lot more difficult. Like the lines aren't as good. We have to kind of, in a way, baby it, right? So we'll do it with our regular stuff and then it'll come out maybe a little too faint or something like that. Now we have to take the cover slip off, run it back through chemicals, stain it longer, stain it darker. So it, it kind of gets a little bit of extra babying along the way, but it's definitely possible to still age them. I would encourage uh, people real quick, if you're unsure, if you want to have a deer age, the easiest thing to do is just throw that jawbone in the freezer and then you'll have it. I, I have yeah. random turkey legs in the, I don't, hopefully my wife's not listening. I know she's not listening. Random bags <laughs> of like turkey legs that I got to take the spurs off of yet in the, in the yeah. downstairs freezer, but you could just freeze it and then decide years later if you want to have it aged, right? Or even better, you can just cut the front teeth out, let them dry out. And then once they're dry, throw them in a bag and then if you want to send them in, great. And then you're not keeping, you're not taking up so much space in your freezer because we don't need the whole jaw, right? So just hang on to those teeth once they're dry. They can sit in an envelope forever and never stink. And label them. Make sure you know which one's which so that you don't get yeah, confused and, and call also, Heather upset. Uh, pro tip, don't let your dog come near your samples. You have no idea how often I get the message, my dog ate my teeth. Can I uh... send this side job? Wow. Yeah. Dogs are dogs are big fans of the teeth, so keep it away from your dog. I'll bet. I'll bet. Sorry, Mike, I interrupted. Did you have anything else? No, I was just gonna say I thought it was um just a point to be noted that uh Heather's face when she was discussing the the beetles that clean off deer skulls was priceless. So apparently uh Heather's not a fan of uh, beetles. Yeah, well I can stink really bad. It's yeah. super gross. That's what our buddy used to do. He had the Beatles. But uh, anyway, that's a whole other subject. So, hey, yeah. uh, where can people learn more uh, about you? So DeerAge.com, you have the website, which really is it's simple. It clearly just explains what packages are available. 
I want to make sure I get this right. Instagram, it's Wildlife Labs on Instagram. Yep. And it's uh, on Facebook, it's Deer Age. Anywhere else? Um, I think we have a, I think we have a Twitter too. I don't actually, I'm not allowed on social media. So that would be my <laughs> husband's department. Um, but I believe we have a Twitter too. And it's like deer underscore age, I think is what it is. There's a link actually on our Facebook or on our website to all of our socials. Um, okay. so yeah. Great. So yeah, definitely check that out folks. Educate yourself. Uh, we could spend forever too talking about, maybe I should just mention it here why to get your deer aged. I think number one, it's just cool. You're curious. You want to know how old the deer is. Maybe you can settle a, a bet with your buddy. Uh, so I think that's number one. I think number two, we share a lot of resources on the National Deer Association website on how to age deer on the hoof. And maybe you want to check us. You, know, you see our video that Kip Adams narrates and you say, you know, I everything I learned there says it's four and a half and I want to see how accurate it is. So I think that's cool. And also if you're a high level manager, if you own property that you're managing at a high level and you want, you want to know for sure the age of those animals, there's no better way to do it than this. And so it is a great service and it's fun too. And Heather, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on the show and we wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully we can send some customers your way. Yeah. Thank you so much. And also just on that note of why, why to do it as well. You mentioned aging on the hoof. I think that a lot of deer characteristics can change based on your area that you're in. So I think that it can really help you fine tune that based on your specific area as well. This, uh, you know, the genetics in your area, the different um, feed that's available can really come, you know, impact that as well. So I think it just helps you to reassure that you're aging on the hoof appropriately. Yeah, and even jawbone and aging molars, which is something we also in instruct and teach about. We also caution people that also is not an exact science based on a million different factors. And so it will certainly help uh, help you understand, like I said, exactly what the age of that animal is. So uh, again, thanks a lot, Heather. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around the corner. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a lot of great information from Heather. She was an entertaining guest. Um, she really, you can tell, is super passionate about what she's doing. She's made significant investments to... Uh, get deer age really just hitting on all cylinders, which is exciting for deer hunters. I would hope that this practice of getting a a scientific age of your uh, of your deer is going to be one that catches on because it's just cool information. But uh, I don't know, Mike. I've never had a deer aged at a lab, but I know many people who have, and I think I'm pretty inspired to give it a try at this point. Yeah, and I think after having this conversation, it seems to me that it could be something a lot more doable for for me prior to this conversation i would have had to have had a significant deer one that i might have been chasing for a long time one that was very unique a special one that you really wanted to have that actual information available for just the way that i would look at it just to build the story of the deer build that that to culminate that story of that deer and have that history with that additional information of definitely this deer is this this old so um but now i believe that my mind has changed if i if i shoot a deer and to me the ones that always give me the hardest time not that you know, tooth wear aging is very difficult but as you talked about it's more of an art form like it takes practice and there is a certain margin of error to a certain degree but I've, I've shot some really old doe. And I, I mean, I think 
for me, that's probably what's going to happen is I'm probably going to, the first one will probably be a doe tooth that I'll send in just because of, I, I, I really like old deer. I like knowing that, you know, I put my skills to the test and, and I harvested this deer. And I think that the older ones to me, at least seem like they, they've earned that additional acknowledgement. Yeah. It's funny because my mind went immediately to does as well, because for bucks, especially if you've been hunting in the same hunting area for a period of time, you tend to know usually within a year or so what the age of the buck is because they're just so much easier to track with, you know, antlers, obviously. But as you know, I have uh, this doe that I've been trying to get that I know is old. And so um, that's probably what I'm looking forward to. She would be one that if I did get lucky and get her, I would want to get that tooth aged uh, just to see how old she was. Uh, incidentally, I'm thinking about this uh, Kip Adams' son, Bo, he did something that I would bet less, way less than 1% of all hunters ever do. And that was, he shot a doe a couple years ago that was older than he was. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's pretty freaking awesome. And, uh, you know, that's not going to happen for us, Mike, because I'm about to be 50 and you're in your 50s. So <laughs> exactly. So at this stage of the game, we're just trying to get as old as we can get in regards to those deer. And I don't think any unusual milestone would be um, anything equivalent of our age compared to a deer. Yeah, exactly. We're just lucky to get out there for that matter. But anyway, I hope uh, you enjoyed the interview there. Um, I thought it was good. And for really, if you're really in a hurry, you can still get a, you can get a result back really quickly for like a hundred bucks. And if you're not in a big hurry, you can get one way cheaper than that. So be sure to check out deerage.com and, uh, learn for yourself. Uh, thank you, Heather, for coming on. It was a great conversation. Oh, before I leave that, I will say I'm really excited too about this being able to do DNA testing of sheds uh, because that, like I said, I had a real world example myself where I thought I had the shed and it wasn't the shed. Um, my friend Jason Matzinger, who has the Into High Country television shows, had that for a long time. He put together Project Elk, which is a great uh, documentary. Uh, he shot an elk that he had shed that he thinks he had shed from, but he's not totally sure. And so he would love to know if that DNA matches from, from shed. So anyway, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Just science is one of those things that's remarkable. It just takes the right person with the right initiative and then coming up with a solution to a problem. And if everything works out and you can prove that it's repeatable, reproducible, bingo, the world is advanced, which is always exciting. Well, the world is advanced in uh, the aging of deer. Not that there aren't other uh, places that do it, but I thought I thought that what Heather's offering is pretty cool. So, uh, okay, hey Mike, our winter seasons, basically our seasons have ended with a thud. Uh, my best chance in Pennsylvania to catch up to one of those bucks I was after actually was the week I was in Delaware. Of course, I'm in Delaware looking at pictures come in of these bucks walking around in broad daylight. By the time I get back, the weather changes dramatically and they leave. So, or they lose half their antlers or all their antlers. Uh, so that wasn't really good. Um, from what I, my what I'm seeing now is that the deer seem to really be moving to that thermal cover where the snow's not so deep. They're relying on browse at this point. Our seasons came to an end, uh, actually at the beginning of this week. But uh, hey, it is what it is, and the next season begins the minute that the previous season ends. And I'm already thinking about next year. Uh, how about you? How did things end up for you? Well, let's put it this way. In my 
uh, see for the almost 38 years of hunting now um i have never completely when i when i talk about completely i mean arrows broken down broadheads put away clothes washed packed put away i have never gotten my hunting stuff packed up and put away faster any season in my life <laughs> i mean i i so badly wanted the season over when i was walking out the woods the last day oh i got my tail kicked and um but sometimes that's good uh it really has made me realize that okay things are changing i'm going to have to work harder and regards to finding different spots more spots spots that might have more of a target rich environment because i didn't have that here this year as well as i would have liked i did like some of the spots that i hunted on public but i didn't know them well enough so i've got my work cut out for me and i want to remember this feeling of being uncomfortable being i don't want to say the word defeated because any hunting season it to me is always a win but the outcome wasn't usually what it is the freezer is a little bit thin if you will you know there's a lot a lot of space in the freezer so i i need to recalibrate and use that this loss if you will you know and even though i don't consider the season a total loss because i learned but um fuel for next year yeah we talked lovingly and poetically about the winter season a couple episodes ago and how great it was going to be and uh the reality is i mean and it is and i love hunting in the winter but it's so much harder the deer are so much so less tolerant the cover is less available um it's just really really tough and uh, I, I'm like you, Mike, I, I'm always sad to see it end, but I was, I was tired and I was ready for it. And now I'm back to tinkering with different things and fletching arrows and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, as you rate, well know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all right. Go ahead. Well, as, as you well know, I'm, I mean, I was in them though. That was the thing that was so hard for me. It was either I was hunting a field edge and I didn't have a close enough opportunity. If I did, it was a uh, fawn of the year and I was looking for like a mature doe the, on the last day I had I was my platform was down I had one stick down and hooked onto my saddle and all of a sudden here come the deer walking by I could see their silhouettes in the snow at 30 yards but shooting light was over so it was just the warmer weather didn't have them moving and it didn't really help it made it more comfortable to sit but it didn't move the deer and give me the opportunities i was hoping for but i was i had action and so i can't complain it's just i didn't have an opportunity yeah can be frustrating for sure but we're moving on hey we've got some nda announcements and this first one i want you to really pay attention to okay because this is a chance for you to save money and get a good product at the same time so uh, in this, in the newsletter that came out on January 18th, we had an exclusive deal for NDA members, or frankly, anyone that reads our newsletter, from our friends at Whitetail Institute. And they're calling it the Frost Seed Special. And here's what you get. You get two bags of Fusion, which are three and a half pound bags. This plants an acre. And one four pound bag of bow stand, which plants a quarter acre, or excuse me, plants a half an acre for a price of $69.96. So that's 33% off of what this normally would cost. And I can tell you, I established a brand new clover field last year, first year clover with this stuff. And I was incredibly impressed. It looked like third year clover. And so I'm excited for this coming year. It did really well. 
And the only way you get this price, folks, is you have to go find it in our newsletter. Okay? So uh, check it out. Go If you're not already subscribing to our newsletter, it's really simple. Okay? Just go to DeerAssociation.com. You can search newsletter. Sign up. And then you will have access to the special. And we appreciate uh, you taking advantage of it because I can tell you that's a really, really good price. So that's the first announcement. Uh, also in that newsletter, a cool article, A Wolf Among Us, How Black Coyotes Came to Be. And that's by Jasmine Sonny Murphy and Dr. Joey Hinton. So my dad actually shot a black coyote a few years ago, which is pretty awesome. It's the only coyote he ever shot, and it was a black one. <laughs> what are the odds of that? Uh, uh, go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say that's pretty low, but a yeah. unique trophy for sure. Yeah, I think I've I've seen one black one, but I never shot one. Uh, so that one, and then also the third of our three-part series of 30 Years of Deer and Habitat Management. And this one is What Will the Future Bring? And these were all by Craig Harper. A really good three-part series of the last 30 years of uh, deer management and where we're headed in the next decade. So pretty cool. Uh, also, our 2024 deer report, it is now available. This is a highly sought-after document, not just by people interested in deer, but by state wildlife agencies, federal wildlife agencies. We are really the go-to on th this information. And so anyone can have it. All you have to do, go to our website and search deer report. Or if you, frankly, you can Google 2024 Deer Report. It's going to be the first thing that comes up. And it doesn't cost you anything. You can download for free the 2024 Deer Report. It is loaded with really good information about deer. We don't leave any stone unturned when it comes to that. So that's the content report, folks. Hope you check that out and enjoy it. As always, we really appreciate you being here and listening to the show. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.